The cheeks, Osborne. First, we grab his cheeks. <laughs> hey, everybody. This is the Inciting Moment podcast coming at you with another mega session. And as you can tell by my haphazard Willem Dafoe impression, we are talking about the Sam Raimi film trilogy from the early to mid-2000s. For those who are just tuning in for today, my name is Ian. Who else here is with me? My name is Sam, and I'm a bit of a scientist myself. I'm James, and uh, I'm here too. No, 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 no Spider-Man no quip. No oh, quote. there'll be plenty of quips. Okay, okay. I, I just stole right. the scientist thing. I get you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, given how we're just so excited about this little topic, uh, we're just gonna dive right in, people, and we're gonna dive in right into the year 2002 with the ever-popular release of Spider-Man. <laughs> you know what I just realized, now that you've stated the date of that long-ago period of 2002? Uh-huh. Technically, since it hit the 20-year mark, this movie is technically historical. Yes. Which means yes, it is. <laughs> I am old and dying as we speak. I, I, I remember wearing out the VHS tape of this movie. That's how old I it saw this is. in theaters. Holy shit. God, theaters. I did too, Remember those? right? Fucking crazy. We didn't just, we didn't just stream it, you know. I mean, Cinema Twelve will literally stand the test of time, but look. Yeah, I mean, the amount of times we've gone there for when we want to go for a cheap little matinee showing. Oh God, it's cheap. And uh, free popcorn, but look, this is not an advertisement. And free popcorn on every single refill. Mm-hmm. Now look, this is an advertisement, but if they were to sponsor us, um. I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Same here. But we must begin where this trilogy began. With Spider-Man 1. And, uh... It's, um... It's a story that we all know by now, but, uh... Spider-Man from 2002 follows the story of, uh, Peter Parker, a, a little dweeb of a human being that, uh... gets bitten by a radioactively infused spider. And not only and, doesn't get uh, cancer. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what happens. Mm. No, instead he starts becoming a literal human spider, or rather a Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and while he uh, initially uses these uh, newfound powers for his own selfish gain, he soon finds out that uh, given how he was brought into the world and how much injustice is within it, he soon comes to realize that with great power comes great responsibility. And uh, after the unfortunate death of his uncle, he is inspired to become the one and only friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And, uh, I mean, aside from a big bad guy that goes around in a green elf costume on a mechanically powered jet infused glider uh who also wants to do you bad know, stuff um what else can you really say about this i mean everybody knows it and for those who don't i mean you're kind of missing out <laughs> which is why we're going to talk about why you should watch it if you haven't um so i mean fellas i i feel like i already know the answer to this question but general thoughts what did we think about our time watching 2002's Spider-Man. 
look, this movie came out at basically the right time. This movie came out mm-hmm. right after the uh, craze of the movie, you know, of the kind of almost like the dark age of comic book movies, which was the 90s. Yeah. Where, where we got such <laughs> middle evil classics as Shaq Fu, or uh, what was it, Steel? Oh, Steel, yeah. Steel, yeah, it was Steel. Mm-hmm. It's hammer time. Oh, good God. And, you know, oh, God, there were some bad ones back then, man. Daredevil. Yeah, before he was Batman, because, you know, he yeah. was Daredevil. Yeah. Oh, my god. And everyone gosh. was blind writing that one. That guy could not get a good... Uh, yeah. He could not get a good comic book movie to save that fucker's life. But it came out at the perfect no. time. It, it basically was this rebirth. And almost like, the, really, the cornerstone of what co- would start the MCU. It almost, like, kick-started it back up again. Say what you want about Iron Man. But it was mm-hmm. really this movie that's kind of got the ball rolling and my general thoughts it's fucking awesome look i'm i've oh i've always been yeah. a huge spider-man fan i love spider-man he's my favorite superhero and this is a spider-man movie baby this 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 is it this this started this shit <laughs> so my my general my general thoughts are just it, it was it was very good it's awesome it's it's perfect tone perfectly toned for what i want in spider-man it I mean, we'll go a little bit more into that later as we kind of compare the three, what I think is a perfect Spider-Man, especially when we talk about the other editions of Spider-Man. But it, I think it really yeah. it, it really hits the note of balancing everything correctly. It's not, is it a perfect movie? Fuck no. No movie's perfect. But hell, it's mm-hmm. as close as you can get. And that's my general thoughts. I love it. I fucking love it. Well, James, you also have quite a bit of uh, history with this trilogy. Uh... What are your general thoughts on uh, Spider-Man? Uh, well, much like Sam, this movie, I would say, kind of sparked my love of superheroes in general. And uh, yeah, they did come out in a time when superhero movies weren't like high art or uh, the the best they've been. Now we're a bit spoiled by uh, just how big the uh, printed paper is being represented on screen. Uh, I I do forget, did this come out before or after the X-Men trilogy? This uh, came after the first uh, movie in the trilogy. Okay, so yeah, that was kind of running parallel to that. And that's when, Mm -hmm. like Sam said, Marvel was blowing up in a big way. Um, I'd argue, everyone kind of knew Spider-Man before this, but I'd argue people didn't know more beyond the name and the costume before these movies came out. And that really, like, blew him to sky-high, like, popularity. Oh, uh, yeah. This cast is wonderful. Uh, everyone kind of hits the character type they need to. There's so many, uh, and I could say this about the trilogy as a whole, there's so many small human moments that we'll get more into when we're not covering general thoughts that... I think set this movie and this whole trilogy apart from any other comic book adaptation. Just in general, there's a lot of heart in this movie and the uh, the others that follow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, to kind of jumpstart my own thoughts, general thoughts on uh, this particular film and the rest of the trilogy, really, uh, it's heart. It really is. I love me a good movie that has like this genuine spirit and core to it and all three of these films admittedly less so in the case of the third one has oh, heart we'll have a and talk spirit <laughs> oh i know mm-hmm. i know as a heads up uh, there may be a little bit of discourse later on with uh 
the third movie. But, you know, what can you do? But, focusing on this one, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, this has been the one that I rewatched the most over the years. Mm -hmm. And it really is because, um, if I had to say anything about this, uh, I think it's the best paced of all three films. Because uh, the other two, they kind of get bogged down a little bit of the side stuff. And um, granted, in the in the defense of the second movie, it has a lot more focus on the human elements of Spider-Man and his supporting characters and all that. Um, but this one, it never feels like we linger on something too long. Or we feel like we're, we're too far away from the action and the uh the excitement uh for too long before we get right back to that i like it i like it a lot there, there there's some things that don't quite hold up and if i had to get into the nitty-gritty after talking about my general thoughts this was at a time where visual effects were still kind of getting there <laughs> mm-hmm if you know what I mean, I mean, those I, are always I think a mixed if, bag. if there's only one thing about this particular film that doesn't quite hold up, it is that. Mm -hmm. um, which, granted, to capture Spider-Man and what he's capable of with swinging around, crawling on walls, flipping all over the place, you're gonna need effects. Yeah, uh, stunt work is great, and there is some pretty good stunt work in this movie. Ah, uh, it's just mm, doesn't quite hold up over the years. Mm-hmm. And it it's kind of feel it does feel a little bit like uh like an awkward teenage phase of like growing into bit. into it like a Spider-Man movie because it, it did like I said it's really the timing of it it was really I mean there I know there was a there was a live action Spider-Man before this from like the 60s and mm -hmm. so it's not the first attempt at a live action Spider-Man obviously there's the, uh, the Japanese one but that one's just wacky that's that's that the one's oh, just that that's the Adam West Spider-Man. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, that, I think that's how we should uh, probably refer to it. It's the Adam West of Spider-Man. <laughs> it it so the, it's awkward. It's a little awkward when watching it again now. It it does. There's some moments where the acting's just a little awkward. It's, it it just feels a little uncomfortable. You know, some awkward pause here and there. Nothing that bogs down the movie, mm -hmm. but you know, it's just it was a very weird time. <laughs> like I said, it, it was really trying to get get its footing. And it shows a little bit because it is an origin story and origin stories are always going to be a little awkward when a lot of people know the origin. I think they really rocked it. I mean, you could it's really up to the viewer who they would want to see as the first Spider-Man villain. But picking William Dafoe <laughs> as the Green Goblin and make it almost like a high, uh, yeah. a, you know, Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde thing. That was we'll get into that in the later section when we talk about our villain, our favorite villains. But. No, he fucking rocked out of the park, and it really created a very tense, good first start. It was a, an amazing start that would only get better yeah. in the in the sequels. And I'm not gonna decide which one because you guys can fucking assume. But <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, little little <laughs> awkward, but all all starts have to be a little awkward, and I, it's still amazing for the beginning of a of a trilogy. I, I I think it's funny you mentioned this is the awkward teenage phase of uh, the the seek or the trilogy as a whole because this is also the awkward teenage phase of the main character. So yeah, a little bit. Even though he looks like a thirty year old in high school. 
Well, if, if you'll notice, um, I'll argue this movie in particular might have a bit more of a rushed pace than the other ones because, like, he's in high school, then you blink and he's graduated, and then you blink again and he's living with Harry in, like, the city. And mm-hmm. they knew that the actor was too old, so I feel like they were really speed-running Peter's life to get him closer to where he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see that. <laughs> but it's... Yeah, there, there's a lot of little starts, but again, that's just him figuring out where he needs to be in the world and all this wacky stuff going down. There's so much Spider-Man shit to cover. I can't really oh, blame yeah. him. It's hard to pick what you want and what you don't want. Mm-hmm. And there's no guarantee that there'll ever be a sequel. So I can I can understand why it bounces around like that. The uh, We talked about Defoe, and I know we're going to do dive into him more depth, but... I'd be remiss if I didn't also talk about the casting of J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, oh, who damn. literally ruined the character for any future interpretations. Oh, I feel so bad. <laughs> That's got to like, suck. He's just the perfect choice. He mm-hmm. adds so much like weight to it, but he, he's an asshole, but like he's not fully like evil. He's, he's got integrity. Like when mm-hmm. the 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 moment that I'd like to highlight with Jonah is spoiler alert. I, I mean, I, I think we're in that point now, right? I know, I know. I, I just did the. We warriors. might as well. Plus, this is a movie from two thousand and two. If people haven't seen it, they're missing out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to skip over a lot of stuff, because again, I think we'll cover a lot of it when we do villains, especially the the goblin knows that Jonah's. Uh, paper is running stories about spider-man and is taking pictures so he busts into his office and like explodes the whole fucking wall and just demands to know where he is and despite literally talking to peter who he knows takes pictures jonah refuses to give him up mm-hmm. and i think that really shows the heart of this character is he's like he's a hard ass but he still cares kind mm-hmm. of this is what oh, yeah i mean there be no other better version of Jonah, like ever in any honestly, medium. Honestly, the the only one that comes close is uh, Mister Podcast Host himself from the uh, the the PS4 Spider Man game that Insomniac made. I hate That's that. That's honestly the closest <laughs> that it ever has come. I hate that version. Really? I don't like how they make him into an Alex Jones. I can get why they did it, because Alex Jones, you know, he's he's a big media figure, but I don't like how they turned Jonah into that, because I like Jonah. I like this version of Jonah, where he's, you know, hard-ass with, a, with, a, with, you know, integrity and shit, and that, he's just, he's just Alex Jones. <laughs> nah, I get that. But, I, get I, that. I mean, don't get me wrong, it makes sense, you know? True, and I mean, uh, I'm also talking from just, like, the eccentric energy of of jameson and how other actors have like tried to capture that but Mm -hmm. frankly they really have so much competition when it's jk simmons as him because i would have to agree yeah one of the best casting choices for a character probably of that decade i'm not gonna lie and it's funny how it's for someone as I don't want to say minor, but he ain't no Peter Parker or Mary Jane, for that matter, or Green Goblin. But even for a minor character like, you know, J. Jonah Jameson, <laughs> it's still amazing just how 
right that choice was, and it paid off fantastically, because he is one of the best performances in all three of the movies. Mm-hmm. Some of the earliest memes from these movies were Jameson. Yeah. Oh, yes. And I mean, if we can, you know, stay on the topic of casting, um, Toby as Spidey and Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. Uh, very close seconds when it comes to perfect casting choices, because uh, I still debate whether Toby is my favorite Spidey, but he really does just capture the the big-hearted dweeb that Peter Parker is known to be. And I mean, even Spider-Man for that matter. Oh, yeah. This, you know? This trilogy builds up the Peter Parker is... I mean, usually he they're trying to make him an everyman, but this really picks him in as, like, the nerd that got superpowers. Yes. Um, an interesting choice about those especially. Uh, just a small little trivia tidbit. Apparently, Defoe did not originally want to make a superhero movie because he thought it was just going to be... I mean, we talked about it. Look how superhero movies were before this. Mm -hmm. Until he knew who they casted as Peter Parker. When he found out Tobey Maguire was going to be the main lead on this, someone who was not unknown, but not like a huge name, he said, okay, this has some merit. William Defoe, which is like a William DeFriend to me. <laughs> a William Def- <laughs> is, there, is there any other casting that we want to highlight? I, I know that uh, Mary Jane tends to get a lot of hate in these films. She, I think she does well enough. I think she does it. I, I think so, too. Kirsten Dunst, unfortunately, is just a victim of the script, I feel. Mary Jane is the love so, interest yeah. in an era where they don't really get a lot to do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, so. But I just, she, you know, I, I have no real complaints. I think, I think she does her job, and I don't think she's bad or awful any in any shape or form. I think that's it. You know, it's just, it's just so hard to compete when you got, you know, C. Riley as Jonah Jameson, William Defoe as Green Goblin, and Tom McGuire. Basically, what they feel is in, they're basically their perfect roles. So it's hard to compete with that. I, I don't envy any of the other cast. You know I mean? Well, we're How... still talking the oh, plot, yeah. or the cast. There is one uh, casting I'd like to bring special attention to, because it's something I developed a bit more of an appreciation for as I'm revisiting these movies as older. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Rosemary Harris is an amazing Aunt May. Yeah. Oh, yes. Like, yeah. this is the perfect older lady caring mother energy, and... If I, I'd be so bold, I think she's my favorite character in the entire trilogy. I she, could see that. She, yeah, no, she's pretty solid. I really do like her, and I think she's pro- yeah. she's probably my favorite Aunt May. Because I feel yeah. like after this point, they just kind of make them younger and hotter just for eye, eye candy for whatever fucking reason. Yeah, no, I, no I can't even remember a whole lot about the Amazing Spider-Man Aunt May. <laughs> I, Aside I from don't... the fact that uh, apparently one of the uh, the spin-off film plans was to do a spy thriller where Aunt May was a spy back in her day? You're like, look, oh. I I'll be honest, I didn't want to talk about that because it's just so painfully stupid. <laughs> I get you, honestly. Like, I, don't, but, um, I don't know what the fuck Sony's thinking. <laughs> still on the topic of casting, though, I... Willem Dafoe, we've already been praising 
his time as Norman Osborn slash the Green Goblin, but there is something still so special about him in this movie compared to the other uh, films in the trilogy, and really just Spider-Man movie villains in general, because uh, the thing about the Green Goblin in the comics was that he had such a personal connection to Spider-Man himself because he's the father of his best friend. Mm -hmm. He finds out who he is, and he tries to attack him right at his heart, you know, capturing his girlfriend and also being responsible for her death and stuff like that. And there was a lot that could have gone wrong with translating him into live action, but frankly, mm-hmm. um, in the very few attempts we've had at other live action uh, interpretations of the Green Goblin, he still holds up. And dear lord, he's just such a proactive antagonist, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really does a good job at raising the stakes, and it you know, it, oh yeah, it makes you nervous. Because he, he doesn't fuck around. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And just the proactive nature of his character, I think, is even more um, expounded on in the action sequences of the movie. Um, I think this movie, with the exception of uh, a scene that we'll cover in Spider-Man 2 which is the train scene, mm-hmm. um, this this movie has my favorite action sequences of the whole trilogy. Oh, yeah. yeah. It really does. And I, I've seen some people say that it looks like uh, Power Rangers choreography, which I can kind of get because, A, Green Goblin kind of looks like the Green Ranger, just straight up. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I like that. I do. I kind of think that that benefits it because, again, it's a comic book movie that very much is trying to play up that style of storytelling and stuff like that. So if it looks a little goofy, I think it kind of plays into it. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, he—that's how Spider-Man fights. He does a lot of. He's so he—he uses his, you know, fucking agility. Oh yeah, same with the Green Goblin and dear Lord. You don't get scenes like the final fight in that broken down, like, building where it's, like, all decrepit and gray. And Green Goblin is just kicking the absolute crap out of, you know, Spider-Man. Like, dear lord. Oh, yeah. I don't know how many, like, prop bricks they had to buy for this trilogy, but the amount of times that faces get smashed into walls is, like, exponential throughout the entire trilogy. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the brutality in this trilogy is profound, honestly. And I actually kind of like how that's the case, because it makes the, you know, action and fisticuffs all the more just gritty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this the action throughout the entire series is actually really on point and does a good job of, mis- of uh, mixing the CG with the, the practical effects. Yeah, yeah. And I actually kind of like how much... Um, in-camera stunt work is done in this film in particular because if i had to knock the other two movies for something uh they substitute a lot of in-camera action with uh cg effects which i mean to really capture what spider-man can do i get that i really do but there was something just really grounding i guess about a lot of the stunt work in the first one that i felt the other two were missing Adding on you know. to that, 
uh, a fact that I love pointing out about this movie, and I've I've mentioned it before to you, Ian. Mm-hmm. Defoe fell so much in love with the character of the Green Goblin that he personally approached the stunt crew and worked with them in his off time to develop a personal fighting style for his character. <laughs> he, he essentially made goblin foo behind the scenes because like Fuck he thought yeah. that an enhanced <laughs> scientist individual would not just fight with punches and kicks. He'd have his own style to it. And he was just all in on it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's 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 the passion <laughs> that people brought to it, and that really shows. And you see it, yeah. You see, like, if you look oh, at the yeah, fight he's scenes, he's got a lot of like, but ain't no kung fu. He's got like a lot of claw swipes, or he's like kicking people through walls. It, it's a lot of you know, like gadgetry and thrown around. It's very unique if you're actually looking for it. Oh yeah, there there there's a point where in the final fight. He he does a front flip to get closer to Spider-Man, and as he lands, he just socks Peter right in the face. And I'm like, you know, you could have just ran up to him, but the fact that he has the agility to just do a straight-up front flip and just right in his jaw, that... God look, damn, how do you... <laughs> look, man, I'm just saying, it takes a lot of hands to make a good villain, but sometimes the villain's lucky and already has eight of his own. That's very true, and uh, that is, of course, the case in the antagonist of 2004's Spider-Man 2. Because, damn, when you got a good thing, you might as well make a second one. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> oh, yeah. No, this first one sold gangbusters, and I don't have the exact numbers for the second one, but it, it it's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's just get right yes. into it. Look, what they started in Spider-Man 1, they fucking perfected in Spider-Man 2. That we are past the awkward team phase and right into, oh shit, we know what we're doing phase. This is pure sequel goodness. It's got higher stakes, better action. In some cases, okay, look, we can argue about that, but really good action that improves on the original. It's the Spider-Man movie, in my opinion. It's good as fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, if I had to start anywhere with my general thoughts, this is my favorite of the trilogy. Yeah, I can't even fucking blame you. I I would say the same, actually. I think we're all on agreement there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, let's look. Yeah. Because the thing, what this movie really improves on, in terms of the first one, and does the best out of, out of any Spider-Man movie, is arcs. The villain's got an arc, Spider-Man's got an arc, all the characters got an arc. They are not the same in the beginning as they are at the end. Oh, yeah. And it's just fucking beautiful. Chef's kiss. There's a there's a character we kind of skipped over in the discussion of the first movie because I think it's a little more relevant moving forward. Harry Osborn is a lot more of a player, like, from yeah. here on out. Yeah, because Harry in the first movie, he was, uh, you know, he was filling that role of the best friend, but he was also slightly like a shitty best friend because he does kind of hit on mary jane when uh peter decides not to himself yeah proactive um, though proactive much like <laughs> what we were saying about the villains he's proactive and you know that 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 gets more of the case as time goes on but we'll cover that later on mm -hmm. uh 
Yeah, he is salty about what has happened in the uh, previous film, which is uh, he blames Spider-Man for killing his father. Mm -hmm. Um, And in this one, Peter is very much so struggling with uh, the issues that come from trying to have your own life with going to college and having aspirations of your own and trying to balance that out with still being a superhero full-time. Mm-hmm. And this movie constantly reminds you of that because Peter Parker is thrown through the ringer constantly, both physically and emotionally in this film, to the point where sometimes it's almost, like, funny in a sad way. If the first movie was illustrating great power, this movie is illustrating great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I think that's one of the strongest things, uh, the arc that Peter Parker goes through with trying to figure out if he actually wants to still be Spider-Man because of just the toll it puts on him and the things that he has to sacrifice in order to you know, keep that up. By far the best, I guess, uh, character study of uh, Spider-Man in this movie and uh, that's not the only thing he has to worry about, because we got ourselves another fantastic casting choice in the case of the villain, that being Alfred Molina as uh, Dr. Otto Octavius, mm-hmm. or as he is known as after his transformation, Doc Ock. And I honestly think his transition to a villain feels a little bit more natural than the Green Goblins, in my opinion. I think so, too, because in the first film, the excuse was just, oh, well, the chemicals made him insane, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, granted, maybe that's all you needed, but I think uh, <coughs> in terms of transitioning into a villain, this definitely seems a little more natural. The arms that he has, uh, you know, literally applied to his body as if it's already part of him, uh, you know, tempting him into performing all these evil acts uh i find that a little more believable which is funny because they're robot arms and mm. well i mean to be fair that guy just lost his wife and his life's goal literally just melted before him <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i mean that's not the great for your mental psyche no oh by no, the by the way really. those robot arms literally melded to his fucking back like he can't take them off yeah yeah melded to his back constantly talking to him speaking constantly. in his brain yeah so they're literally it's crazy upset. but i mean yeah I mean, uh so i have a question for you fellas when it comes to uh this film mm-hmm. um and maybe this wasn't something that you really paid attention to but uh, how did you feel about the film being shot in a widescreen format? Because something that I thought any Spider-Man film should take advantage of is having a shot composition that really allows to show, <clears throat> excuse me, really allows to show New York in all of its glory and having it in a wide format like that kind of helps. Because uh, the first one wasn't shot like that. It was a little more condensed, a little more, I think, in areas uh, claustrophobic. And I wanted to ask if you guys really noticed that difference at all and thought if that played into the quality of the film at all. Okay, so my professional opinion on that is I really like the 
part where Spider-Man punches Doc Octopus and he punches back and they're fighting on a train and fighting on a building. It was very cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, James, now your professional opinion. So, I, admittedly, I think, Ian, you're probably the one out of the three of us that would notice all the, the little details of that uh, more so. But uh, I will say, if I can, like add into that a little bit this film i'd argue out of all the three has the the strongest uh iconography of the trilogy if that makes sense the a lot of scenes in this are just there were a few in the first movie don't get me wrong but i think this one has the most imagery that people most associate with the raimi trilogy as a whole and while i can't say the you know, I'm not as well versed in the technical like prowess and limitations or whatnot of that. It the fact that they were going for these bigger shots, like Peter holding the bus together, or like the car flying at him through the window, or all the 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 entirety of the hospital scene, which is a fucking horror show. Um, uh-huh. I who's to say they didn't try to take these bigger moments to better take advantage of the widescreen mm-hmm. filming. Because it definitely looks better than the first one, if I had to just kind of boil it down to a uh, simpler point. Uh, it really does feel like an improvement from the first one, which isn't to say that the first one didn't look good, but uh, the effects are better. I think the cinematography is better. Um, and honestly like I was talking about before, the exploration of Spider-Man and the toll that it puts on Peter Parker as a person, um, I think is improved on even more and gone into deeper detail. And the thing that always stuck out to me over the years with Spider-Man 2 was uh, the scene where Peter's talking to Aunt May and telling her what actually happened the night that uh, Uncle Ben died and how he was responsible for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that be indirectly or not. And, you know, he's telling him how, you know, I, I wasn't at the library. I was at a wrestling ring to win some money to impress Mary Jane with a car. And uh, the guy that was supposed to pay me, he got robbed. And uh, because he cheated me on my money, I wanted revenge and let the guy who robbed him get away. Little did I know that the guy that got away would be the man that killed Uncle Ben. Mm-hmm. And... The line that still sticks with me over the years, and again, after rewatching it recently, was uh, Uncle Ben died because he was the only one that night that did the right thing. I, I'm very glad that you brought this scene up because I respect the hell out of this movie, not just for the poignance of like Peter's perspective on it, but mm-hmm. the, the sheer humanity of it. Because mm-hmm. this is a this is a fucking moment, right? Like even oh, with absolutely. out super heroics in the picture, you, you say to your your essentially your mother, I I've been waiting a while, but Dad died because of me. Yeah, I mean that's not easy and to say. The the way that Aunt May reacts to it is incredibly understandable and like in very human 
she doesn't have a big moment of like, oh, Peter, you you you've learned from it and you've grown and or like, oh no, we've moved on from this. It's okay. She feels horrified. He he sticks his hand out to her and she like reels back and then she leaves without saying a word. Oh yeah, cause she doesn't know how to take that. How would you? <laughs> And that's why I say, like, this is the most human of the three. Oh, yeah. And I think uh, it, it's that exploration of every character, really, that is the best and, like, of all it, the movies. It's it just there now. Like, that's just a part of their dynamic moving forward. He He's always a little more cautious to approach her from here on out, just because he knows that things are tense. Now, I do have to ask... Uh, regarding another character because uh, my thoughts of her changed the further that we got into the trilogy so in the first one uh, Mary Jane pretty alright she fills the role just fine as the love interest you know okay. and stuff like that uh, but I wanted to ask how were your thoughts on her in this film and obviously I'll ask the same thing about the third one because I think the third one I don't know what to think of her <laughs> uh, to be yeah, completely honest with some of the things she pulls I'll have some words there but in this movie specifically uh, she's obviously given a little more to do than in the first movie she's not just there yes. to be kidnapped uh, in fact, she Even doesn't get kidnapped in this kidnapped one. Again. Well, well, she does at the end, but... <laughs> I mean, man got um, eight arms. What are you going to do against that? Mary Jane is written, I, I feel, always slightly less so as a character and more so as a conflict, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just another cog in the wheel of Peter questioning how much of his life is he actually living. And I, I feel like for that purpose, she's she's doing all right. But again, I, I it's a shame that like we, we don't really see she she gets a, a play in this one, and that's kind of the big thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And the the impetus isn't really about the play itself; it's more about whether or not Peter has been able to see it, spend send mm -hmm. aside time even though, like, everyone else in his life has. And in, in that sense, it's less about her personal accomplishments and more about how Peter relates to them. So, again, she's not really given the importance of personhood, more so of plot device. That's still more to do. Yes, very yeah, much so. Definitely, this is an improvement. Definitely, I will say that. And uh, when she's calling out Peter from time to time, I think she has a little more uh validity and um understanding than in the later film which i'm gonna have some words about that but um yeah definitely more to do but still not the greatest I mean, honestly the thing about this movie it's basically what a perfect spider-man movie is it's about spider-man being at his lowest and getting back up that's the whole thing about spider-man is it's the idea oh yeah it's honestly him trying as hard as to balance his superhero life with his normal life and it's obviously it's incredibly difficult to do there's a part in this movie where he just kind of gives up and again that's that's the humanity thing no one's perfect he's not perfect you know and it's this is such a good natural progression of what happened in the first one in the first one we see like the superhero part of it 
And that's the biggest part. Mm-hmm. It's him. Oh, I, hey, I have superpowers. There's not the, the real the consequences that come in that one is oh hey these guys are dangerous they might hurt someone I love. And the second one he's mm-hmm. got more handle on it, but now it's balancing. Oh hey, now I've got my real life and my uh, superhero life, you know, coming to clash, and he loses confidence in himself. And it, it's really about him, and that's his character. Right? He he gets to his low point, realizes hey no wait. I still have a responsibility to do because there's people that mm-hmm. are endangered and he gets back up and that's, that's bingo. That's Spider-Man. It's getting back up. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, this is a kind of the ideal sequel in most cases where it's an expansion and, uh, additional step forward from the first film and mm-hmm. what that established about, you know, its story, its characters, its setting, and it's just great that we had a film like this because in many ways a lot of the later films they falter in the areas that this movie did so well. And again, it really just is how it plays up, how Peter Parker has a choice to be Spider-Man, but it's inspiring how despite the fact he could walk away from it all, he was raised with these ideals and uh, beliefs about justice and being a good person because of the people who raised him that ultimately he decides no i should be Mm spider-man and makes his triumphant return because the whole reason why i find that line of uh uncle ben died because he was the only one that you know did the right did the right thing that night is because that's the difference between any other person and spider-man spider-man He has super strength. He can swing from webs. He can crawl on walls. He can do all these amazing things that no other human being, unless we're talking about the extended Marvel Universe, can do. And so with that opportunity and responsibility of having all that power, it really is inspiring how someone like that, who could at any point from all the stress, anxiety, and just toll that it puts on someone, it is... So inspiring to see them say, no, I'm going to keep at it, mm-hmm. and I'm going to come back. Yeah. It you... really is amazing. Yeah, and the, shit. There's something... Amazing. Not uh, like those movies. Hey, hey whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I mean, agree, we'll but sh- we don't, you know. Uh, but no, I mean, the similar, happening, similar thing kind of happens with the uh, main villain, too. I mean, he's not all 100% evil. Yes, he beca- he does some evil things. Don't get me wrong. But at the end, he realizes this. Spoiler alert. And kind of sacrifices himself because, as he says at the at the end of the movie, I will not die a monster. And yeah. mm-hmm. God, it's just best Spider-Man movie. Boom. Yeah, not much. Uh, not much to say outside of that. Aside from yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's easily the best. I mean, what can we say? It's Sam Raimi's. I mean, this is peak. Unfortunately, once you reach the peak. There's only one way to go. Look, I mean, it, we can all agree it's it's pretty black and white on how this movie is received. Mm-hmm. The uh, the next one we're talking about has uh, had a bit more of a resounding uh, reputation. It put on the black suit, and man, does it feel good to be bad sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got its ups and its downs, mainly downs, but you know... There's still some stuff to talk about it, and I'm going to have a bit to say. Uh, But 2007's Spider-Man 3, 
I actually remember seeing this before it came out in a advanced screening, and even though I am too young to remember all of it, uh, some of the deleted scenes that were uh, included in a later extended cut, I actually saw. Uh, one of them scared the absolute shit out of me when Peter is looking in a mirror and for a split second he turns into Venom. But, you know, details! <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, there was a lot of excitement for this one because it focuses on the black suit. Uh, mm -hmm. And many other things that are rather interesting, but in areas not exactly handled the greatest. Uh, in this one, things are going pretty good for Peter. The city loves him uh, resoundingly. Uh, he's being noticed by the media a lot more, and despite Jameson's attempts to still drag him through the dirt, uh, they don't work, because at one point, he gets the key to the freaking city. Mm -hmm. But things kind of go awry when um, his relationship with Mary Jane is kind of getting a little skewed and rocky, because uh, she's not doing so hot in her field of expertise, that being acting and singing. And, uh, you know, it's a little disheartening to see how famous and appreciated he is, and she's often overlooked and not paid much attention to. But on top of that, Harry, after finding out that Peter is Spider-Man, is also making plans to uh, finally take revenge for his father... Uh, and on top of that, Peter comes to find out that, uh, there's a different guy who is actually responsible for the death of his uncle, that being Flint Marco, a.k.a. the Sandman. Mm-hmm. And to compound all of that, which is possibly one of its downfalls, uh, the black suit is also introduced, a alien symbiote that at one point attaches itself to Peter and makes him super powerful, but at the cost of being a overly aggressive asshole. So a lot to talk about with this one, because it, it has the most going on, and uh, a couple of interesting choices. But generally, how did we feel about this one? Okay, I, I've got a lot to say here. The This movie gets a lot of hate. And I'm not about to go ahead and say it's unjustified. There's a lot of bullshit in here that does drag the movie down. But I will go to bat for this movie because it's not all terrible. And what it does right, I feel, is worthy of praise. When, when it's good, it's Slaps. just as good as the rest of the movies. The, the problem is, it, it kind of is wading through symbiote goop to get to the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is not entirely uh, any... Well, a, a lot of this has to do with some, some dumb uh, corporate meddling and weird stuff that I think we'll dive more into later. Uh, overall, I don't hate this movie. I did when I first saw it, but I've grown to understand and appreciate this film a little more on a rewatch. Yeah, with the with the help of some right. of the newer films. Yes. Uh, now, Sam, I believe you were going to make a point as well. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm basically in conjunction with that. Honestly, going back to rewatch it, it's not as bad as I remember it. Some in some ways, it's actually better, way better than I remember it being. 
Um, I mean, if we, uh, uh, some positive is the action is still awesome, especially that final fight scene. It's fucking dope. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And controversial opinion. I'll just start with this. This may be one of the best, if not the best, Venom we've had on screen. Really? Yeah. It's, hmm. It almost hurts me to say that. <laughs> do you uh do you want to dive into that deeper? Or do you want to wait for our villain will, analysis? Uh, I'll go a little bit into it. It's it's the most accurate Venom we've ever had. I'd have to agree, yeah. And, and of course, accuracy does not always mean it's going to be the best. Or mm-hmm. that made it intrinsically better, but it just hit more of the notes of what I wanted from an Eddie Brock, and that newer Venom movie just did not. It's fascinating you say that, because uh, it's something that I found when looking into the production of this movie specifically... Sam Raimi does not know or particularly like the character of Eddie Brock in Venom. Uh, His inclusion was not planned from the beginning of this. He he was kind of forced in, which, yeah, it it shows. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it's interesting to to see that you've... Because in some ways, this this, uh, symbiote differs from the comics. For example, the way the movie explains it, the symbiote itself is less of a real character, and it more amplifies the emotions of the person that it attaches to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it less has its own agenda, and it's more just like feeding off whoever it's grabbed onto, uh, which leads to a lot more of its more contentious scenes later in the film. Yeah. Um. <laughs> which, uh, oh lord, um... It's almost like Peter Parker kind of spawned his own separate alias, that being Bully Maguire. What do you do about <laughs> because it? Because Lord, the memes that came from that. <laughs> Makes the movie alone worth it. Uh, yeah. Uh, to me, not so much in a good way, but more in just like, it's such an anomaly. I think it's what another he becomes later on. <laughs> fascinating, uh, not exactly character study, but I guess... A microcosm of it, if that makes sense. I mean, shit. Yeah. I mean, fuck. Where do we even begin? Like, if we if we're talking about specifics, I mean, say what you well, want. Well, I I think one thing, if we were to go somewhere, this is a very busy and in many cases messy film mm-hmm. because of how much it's trying to cover, and it's strange yeah. how a lot of these sequels to the other Spider-Man ventures suffer from the same problem where it's they have too many antagonists and too many plot threads they're trying Mm -hmm. to cover in one film now in the case of the amazing films it's because they're trying to set up way too much for future films because it got way too caught up in that whole micromanaging you know future events and stuff like that that you know the mcu can sometimes be criticized for incentivizing i guess but the other problem is like the, the plot threads themselves it, it just seems so odd and i can't entirely blame sam raimi for having them play out the way they did because the thing about these films that i always loved so much is the heart and spirit but the problem is is that spider-man 3 only has like a few moments where that heart and spirit comes through because I can tell that that's what Sam wanted to do from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it really does feel like corporate meddling. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's such a shame because 
I feel like if it was left unaltered and not, this is going to sound a little harsh, but tainted, I think it could have been a hell of a lot better and mm-hmm. carry that same heart and spirit that these films are known for. Uh, and maybe, <laughs> I don't know, if Venom had to be in it, I, I wish he had a little bit more prominence because, yeah, I kind of liked where things were going with that. I actually thought Eddie Brock was pretty effective in what he was supposed to be, and that's a asshole photographer that's trying to show up Peter Parker. I wish he was casted a little better, because I don't think Topher Grace is the best choice, but hey, it's 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 something, yeah. you know? Still, I almost say better Eddie Brock than Tom Hardy, even though I really like Tom Hardy. As Eddie Brock, as weird as that sounds, but I get I get I get yeah. I mean, here's the, here's the difference with these movies. Spider-Man One is the reason we got Spider-Man Two. Spider-Man Two yes. is why we got Spider-Man Three. Spider-Man Three is why we did not get Spider-Man Four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is a shame because it sounds like Spider-Man Four was supposed to go more into Venom and have more characters, which means that Venom could have been great later on. I remember reading some rumors as a kid because I was all in on these movies when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that if Spider-Man Four would have happened, they would have had not only Carnage, but Jim Carrey as Carnage. Oh, ho, ho, ho. I remember those rumors. Yeah. And I mean that's a perfect in time encapsulation of the time period these came out. Because uh, oh, yeah. when discussing Venom, it's important to point out we take it or we take it for granted now. But when these movies were coming out, Venom was not the oldest character. No, he wasn't. He was like at most maybe a decade old. He came out like mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so comparing like this Venom and Eddie Brock to like the Venom movies, Eddie Brock are like after a decade or two of character development and much different interpretations of where they are in the public landscape. But Venom isn't the only villain in this movie. In fact, there there are quite a few. Yeah. I want to talk about Sandman. Yeah, because when talking about the heart and spirit that does still make it through in this one, I'd have to say Sandman is one of them. Mm -hmm. One, One thing I do want to get out of the way right now, I don't fully understand the reasoning behind retconning Uncle Ben's killer to be him. That doesn't really add a whole lot to the narrative, I don't feel. I I think it kind of makes sense with the black suit because it, it, it gives him another reason to kind of go down darker – Spider-Man, that is – a reason to go down a darker path now that he – no, like he technically got the wrong guy in the beginning of Spider-Man One. He knows now who killed his grand grandfather, and with the bla- addition of the black suit, it kind of makes sense because it's just more to push him into the embrace of the symbiote and being like the most evil version he could be. I, I guess I, it's more so it, it was a little convoluted in how they added that plot point. Fair, but no, yeah. When when you want to talk the heart and like humanity. He's got that in spades. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Spider-Man doesn't really have to deal with a villain that isn't either in conflict or just straight-up insane and evil. Flint Marco is a character that does crime because he doesn't have a choice. 
mm-hmm. which is something Peter assumed everyone had. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. if Sandman was the only villain in this movie, with the exception of a, another villain that kind of needed to be in this movie as well, who got really shafted, I think people would know and respect the character a lot more. Yeah, and I think actually uh, having him be uh, Uncle Ben's real killer, kind of like what Sam was saying, I think it does kind of bring Spider-Man and him closer together, like, personally, and also reflects how the black suit almost is like this opportunity for uh, Peter to go down a darker path at the advantage of having even more power and stuff like that and the ability to do even more than what he's been doing. Yeah. Kind of like how when, you know, Flint Marco becomes Sandman and has the ability to, like, shapeshift and all that, what does he do? He uses it to go down a darker path, and what both of them do later on in the film is they choose not to do that anymore. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I guess I should reiterate, because I I like the the destination. I'm just not as uh, keen on the journey, if that makes sense. Because once Spider Man gets in yeah. conflict with Sam Man, that's when the good shit happens. There, the scene when he's in the sewers and like he he throws him against the train and like his face is just graining back against mm-hmm. the train, or when he floods him down and like what he thinks kills him is one thing but also he then goes back and tells aunt may hey spider-man killed uncle ben's killer isn't that awesome and aunt may is once again horrified she's like Mm -hmm. spider-man doesn't do that that's not a good thing to do even if we were to have the opportunity to find uncle ben's killer he wouldn't want us to live with a like even slight modicum of revenge in our hearts because that's just how uncle ben is that's what he enforced in you know aunt may and peter because especially peter one thing we forget is while the black suit amplified peter's emotions he was always a little vindictive in the first movie the only reason he didn't kill the who he thought was uncle ben's killer is literally because he didn't have his hands on him when he fell Right. But he certainly didn't stop him from falling. Mm-hmm. No, he easily could have shot out a web and caught him, but he was so angry. But afterwards, he did feel bad about it and realize that that wasn't the right thing to do, and he's going to, you know, do better and all that. But no, I get that. But uh, it is around this point where I started thinking about this a little more, because he has a lot more prominence in it. Uh. What's your opinion on James Franco as Harry? Because I never felt like he did extraordinary well, but I didn't think he was terrible. It's kind of hard to match up to William Defoe as the Green Goblin, so... Uh, Yeah, a little bit, because, you know, obviously he's using the goblin tech to go after Peter in this one. James Franco in this trilogy is playing a role that he kind of plays in a lot of movies, which is the best friend. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't hate him in this. It, it's not the most inspired casting, but he's he does an all right job with the stuff. His arc is kind of ruined in this movie. Yeah. Um, 
because his the whole trilogy he's setting up his hatred of spider-man all of this stuff and then when he finally suits up and he gets all the gear on and he d- goes to fight spider-man and in also rather brutal beatdown fight scene oh yeah he, he brains his head and gets like memory loss for half the film yeah and he becomes like cartoonishly dopey too yeah and I think like, that's the bigger I, I get sin. the amnesia part, but I, why is he dopey? Like, I don't get that. That that seemed a little too much. And I mean, these movies already were kind of campy and silly sometimes. But I thought that, that was just because that's how the world is, you know what I mean? It's supposed to be eccentric, but that's just cartoonish. While I lament uh, the movie kind of squandering Sandman's potential, I think it's a bigger sin that uh, Harry Osborn just gets shafted for so much of it, considering how much it's been built up. Mm-hmm. Right, and if I had to say my least favorite part about this movie, I I think it's not just the melodrama between Peter and Harry, it's the melodrama between Peter, Harry, and MJ. Because mm-hmm. it was in this movie where I was kind of annoyed with some of the stuff MJ was saying and doing. So, the thing is, is that she's kind of going through some stuff that Peter did in the first one where she's thrown through the ringer, you know, emotionally and stuff like that. But I'm not going to lie, there's some cases where I think she's being a bit much. You, you and care to go into kind of uncalled for because I, I have some thoughts on this, but I'd like to hear yours first. Yeah, like I, I, I think in many cases MJ was wrong in some of the stuff that she was claiming, and just the way that she was reacting to things. Like obviously, it was shitty of Peter to do the whole upside down kiss in front of like all those people because that was the same kiss that happened in the first movie. Obviously. Right. But there's some stuff in between, you know, not just after, but before that, where MJ was being a little abrasive and stuff like that. Like, Peter is constantly saying, hey, listen, you know, it it, it sucks that critics are, are saying that you suck at singing, that they can't hear you, that you're not that good, but... The important thing is that you don't let that get you down. You improve. You keep going. Mm-hmm. And she just completely says, well, that doesn't matter because I'm not, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, that's stupid. You're stupid. And, and that was the best response that she had with that. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, Peter is not perfect in this movie by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a lot of cases where it seems like where their relationship goes, MJ is kind of responsible for it. It's funny that you had that takeaway because I'd argue the opposite. Really? Okay. Um, and part of this comes down to larger context outside of Spider-Man 3. Uh, a mm-hmm. plot point that we've kind of skipped over in 2, because it, it's only kind of on the surface, is right. Peter, throughout most of the previous film, was kind of jerking MJ around in terms of getting in a relationship or leaving or getting back in, because he's worried about how being a superhero would affect the relationship, right? His uh-huh. his loved ones being targeted, it's all that. But what we don't really factor in is the other side of that. While he, he's been jerking around, he's been getting cold feet, saying we should, we shouldn't, we should, we shouldn't. And then when they finally get into a relationship, he never really 
sets aside time to have a conversation with her beyond the the surface level. She she's not really mad that people are you know like dissing her plays. She's mad that her boyfriend isn't treat taking it seriously. He thinks that the superheroing stuff is like higher stakes, more important. And aside from a couple lines of like, oh, don't feel bad, you'll get them next time, there's not a deeper connection there. And when the black suit comes into play, obviously it becomes more and more apparent that he's, uh, you know, intentionally screwing up and like things are going awry. But at the heart of it, Peter's not a great boyfriend in this. No. No, not entirely. But another reason why I kind of think MJ could have done better is A, at no point does Peter know that she was fired from her uh, her play, her show. She keeps that completely secret to him, and there's a lot more that she's feeling that she never communicates to him either. That's the other thing that I always that I was kind of like, well, well, what do you expect? <laughs> you gotta say these things. Mm-hmm. She's clearly thinking a lot of it, and she says it to Harry, and later on, you know, gets a little smooch from Harry that she initiates, but, I mean, I don't know. And I, I don't entirely think it's just from MJ as a character. I'm also thinking just the whole situation entirely. I thought that the whole melodrama between Peter, Harry, and MJ, it was all contrived. Oh, that was the dumbest part, like... I think that's a relic of, like, what this movie would have been from the start, and I don't think I would have liked that anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. pettiness. I, I, I don't think that was from, you know, Sony saying, oh, yeah, you have to have this will-they-won't-they they soap opera stuff uh, between Peter, Harry, and MJ. I don't know. I, I think, uh, in all, because of how much this movie was doing, it does have a lot of missed opportunities, you know? Like... Again, there are moments in all three of these films that you remember that Sam Raimi was a horror director before he did these, Mm -hmm. especially in the case of the Goblin, especially when freaking uh, those doctors are trying to amputate uh, Doc Ock's mechanical arms and they just completely murder them all. Mm -hmm. Imagine if Venom was the main antagonist and he had more time to shine. He's scary in this one with his, like, design and stuff like that. He's not all that big like he is in the comics, but he's still pretty scary looking. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine having an entire uh, scene where it's in a bit of a darker, maybe a little more gothic kind of, like, setting, like in the first one. Um, And he's, like, just scurrying around all the place, hiding in the shadows, and he's just, like, tossing Spider-Man through walls and stuff like that. I wish we got that, because I feel like even though Sam didn't really care for Venom, if he had to do Venom, and he had more time to prepare a better story involving Venom, I have no doubt that he could have done a much better job. So you you want Venom as a xenomorph, essentially. Sure. (laughs) Hmm. Because that's not too far off from, you know, how they have him. but... But yeah, I mean... Would I say that I like it a little more than I remember it? I'd say so, but in all honesty, not by much. 
This is the weakest movie in the trilogy, but I still struggle to say this is a wholly bad film. Right. I, I think uh, the things that keep me from saying it's anything more than okay uh, is how messy it is when it comes to its different plot threads. Mm-hmm. But also how the black suit, I think, could have also been handled better. Namely, with how it affects Peter. Because, much like we've seen in the comics, I really think it should have done more than just make him a a mild asshole. Mm. <laughs> like, I, I, I honestly think uh, what, what, what could have happened... Because, you know, Tobey Maguire, he's had some later movies where he kind of went into that sort of energy. I, I think it should have made him a little more, what would be the word, a little more unhinged and kind of out of control, almost. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? In a sort of like, in, in, in the vein of maybe Heath Ledger or something like that. Just, you know, kind of being a little scary. In his performance and stuff like that, because I feel like that could have led to some, I think, a little more guttural emotion and, like, drama between the people in his lives and stuff like that. He he has that, kind of, but it's just so... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's more on the, the, the side of immature than, you know, unhinged or guttural, mm -hmm. like, responses to things, you, you know? And you can tell that they were trying to go for that, but just the, the execution of it, it didn't go far enough. And maybe that could have been Sony being like, oh, well, well hey, don't, don't, don't make him a, a entirely bad person, even though that's what the comics had him out to be. I don't know. A lot of missed opportunity and just way too much studio meddling that sadly led to a less than great product to the finale of a overall solid trilogy i think we all can agree on but it does make you question of all the different fisticuff bouts that happened in all three of these films you gotta wonder who was our preferred best in all three of them because as we've said the villains are almost the best part of this whole trilogy and it's at that point where now we got to do a little bit of compare and contrast and see who we feel comes out on top with uh, who fills those shoes the best. Gentlemen, who are your favorite villains in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy? It's a tie between Green Goblin and uh, Doc Ock. Be I, I, okay. I can't choose between the two is the problem because Doc Ock is the most human and has the best arc. But fuck me, William Defoe as Green Goblin is just so good. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, best villains in the, any Spider-Man thing ever. I I will say it's particularly telling that uh, we're not going to be discussing No Way Home in this too deeply, but it it's particularly telling that all the trailers for it needed to do is just show Al Alfred Molina in the suit again <laughs> to mm -hmm. just make everyone lose their shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Which, by the way, eventually we will talk about No Way Home, but that comes later when everyone else has actually seen it. In terms of villains, uh, before I get into my favorite, I would like to point out the, the true tragedy of the greatest villain of this entire trilogy, 
is one that has never fought and largely gets away with his crime. And that is the Osborne's butler, who knew from the start that the goblin killed himself and never told Harry until it was plot relevant. Yeah! <laughs> it's just a little, it's just a little this important. is a... Yeah! This is a sociopath that needs to be stopped. And the yeah. Peter never gets to him. And that is the true tragedy of Spider-Man 3. Because, like, he even comments on Harry's obsession in Spider-Man 2 and says, yeah, you should maybe calm down. And he could have easily have aided in that goal if he just said, hey, look, Harry, listen, um... Spider-Man didn't kill your dad. Your dad tried killing Spider-Man, but in the end, ended his own life because of it. Uh, but no, th that aside, um, Goblin is just such a presence. I, I love the humanity of Sandman and of Doc Ock, but Goblin is such a like force of nature that I I can't help but just like get invested anytime he appears on screen. I, I love his suit. It It's such a striking design that is not at all like the comics, but golly does it work. I, I like the sheer brutality. Yeah. Like, Not only does he break down door... Something I noticed while rewatching the first movie, every time that Goblin enters the scene, there is either an explosion or something breaking. He never just walks into yes. frame. I mean, yeah. Duh. Uh, and especially the scene where, like, he f goes to Peter's house, kicks down Aunt May's door, and is like, she's just screaming there, and he's shouting, Pray! Finish praying! And then she shows up in the hospital, and it's like, holy shit, this... So, not in terms of power, obviously, but in terms of temperament, the Raimi villains take the MCU villains' lunch money. Like, these are evil people but mm -hmm. that aside Ian who is your favorite villain well in an alternate reality where Venom was a bit more of a presence I would say Venom because I like his design I like how he was implemented and I like how scary he was mm -hmm. as he should be because I feel like Sam would have had a, uh, a field day if he had more time to develop mm-hmm uh, him in the movies and stuff like that. Hell yeah. Both Sam Raimi and Sam over here in the Discord, obviously. Yeah. I would have had him throw a car through a wall Oofy. and then, like, turn his hands into axe. Oh, wait, no, that's Carnage. Never mind, sorry. Look. Oopsie-daisy. They would get the car through the wall. Hell, maybe I would have said my favorite villain was uh, Jim Carrey because, I mean, that's such a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, in reality... What we actually have, it really should come as no surprise. It's it's Green Goblin. It really is. Mm -hmm. Because he just has such a presence. He's so effective as an antagonist. He has an amazing actor behind him that every single scene, you can just see the commitment in him. I don't think I have seen an actor... Just come off as this committed to a role in a very long time. There's quite a few from more recent films that I do enjoy and stuff like that. But he has so much passion behind 
playing this entirely maniacal yet tragic Jekyll and Hyde character that I just respect so much about it. Oh yeah. Defoe loves what he's that, doing. I he's mean, very good at he it. wears that fucking Green Ranger costume with such pride that, dear lord. He refused mm-hmm. to take it off behind <laughs> the scenes. Like, Perfect. he actually ate through it. Really? Yes. That's dedication. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, considering how long it took to put the costume on, it took like a couple hours to finally put every single piece on. Yeah, but not even the helmet. He didn't even take that off. Thankfully, that opens up. Oh yeah, yeah, at the mouth area, so he could eat like some some applesauce if he wanted to. God bless him. God fucking yes. Yes. With the cinnamon and brown sugar. Yes. You go for the jar. <laughs> First, I go for the jar, and then I go for Spider Man's cheeks. I don't know why he's going to Spider-Man's cheeks. His are sufficient enough. I I mean, like, he's got big cheeks in the movie. Why, why are we comparing cheeks? Because it's... I, I guess why is... Because uh, we got to compare it to the other trilogies now. Oh, yeah, the other movies. Cheeks to cheeks. What's better? Cheeks to cheeks. Which Spider-Man has the best cheeks? Okay, well, that, that was already answered. Green Goblin. Well, yeah. <laughs> but... Well, yeah, between, like, Toby, Andrew, and uh, Tom, who has the best cheeks? And I'm, I'm just going to say it. Sammy trilogy, best trilogy. So are we just yeah. comparing live action, or...? Uh, yes. Okay. I say live action, because I think it might be a little unfair to compare cheeks to a uh, an animated character. Mm-hmm. That's true. Very I mean, unfair. Spider-Verse is an all-league of its own. I, it's, I mean, it's a different beast entirely. Yeah. Probably one of the better Sony Spider-Man's coming in a long time. But in terms oh, yeah. of how... Yeah, that's true. That's true, and I'm excited for the sequel uh-huh. coming out later next year. No, but... Or this year, depending on when people listen to this episode, but that's besides the point. Yeah, sure. Again, obviously, No Way Home aside, because only one of us have actually seen it. This... Yeah, me. <laughs> ...film trilogy... Uh, we, I mean, we've said it multiple times, but this has the most humanity... I feel, mm-hmm. and that's something that's largely lacking in. They get the spider right, like, but they don't really get the man, if that makes sense. No, there, there's a lot of little moments, like Peter confronting Aunt May about Uncle Ben's killer, or Sandman explaining that he steals money to pay for like his sick daughter, or even just small little things, like when, uh. When Norman Osborn is getting strapped up to the table, and he's he's about to go into the chamber, th- there's a, a moment where like they snap him in, and he just shivers a bit and says, "Oh, it's a little cold." And like that's a little moment. <laughs> I noticed that. I'm like, why? That's a little <laughs> moment, that? but like that shows these are people. Like you're not gonna see Thanos, you know, like stub his toe and like just kind of walk it off or something, and. Mm-hmm. Or, like, have a deep emotional conflict. I mean, he does, but it's not, like, a relatable, like, down-to-earth stuff. These really build out these characters as people more so than just big, exciting comic book characters. And I really appreciate that about this trilogy. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, uh, compared to the other ventures of Spider-Man in uh, film... This has the most fascinating tonality and just, I guess, 
not world building, but just how the world works in New York. It, it it's the most comic booky, in my opinion. The other films very clearly try to have it go both ways, where it's funny and goofy. But in, in the case of the amazing films as well, that one goes a little too far in just trying to be more realistic. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, okay, fine, I guess audiences would prefer that because uh, a lot of superhero films especially after the dark knight tried going that route um but i don't know because of that it does make it a little less interesting and i think something should be said about the tonality because something that a lot of people seem to harp on nowadays is how campy and goofy and silly the movies are uh, to which I say, yes, That's comic books, that is baby. a thing, mm-hmm. but it's also a comic book movie. Have you not read a comic book featuring Spider-Man before? <laughs> when it, there's a villain that fights the Flash that nearly defeats him because while the Flash is running super fast, he deploys a atomic banana peel that makes him slip off of the planet Earth due to his <laughs> momentum. This is comic books. Yeah, there is also a man in Spider-Man comics named Big Wheel, which is literally just a guy sitting on a big wheel that he plows through buildings and maniacally laughs while doing so. And I, this is the most Spider-Man Spider-Man has been when it comes to just the the tonality and just setting the tone for the world that these movies take place in. And sure, that may not be the most accurate depiction of New York, but Mm -hmm. it most certainly is a little closer to how New York was post-9-11, given that the first movie came out 2002. You know what I mean? I mean, the thing is, we really have to go back into this this Spider-Man trilogy came at the perfect time, where there was no MCU. There was no really any expectations. And... So the thing is, is, that's why this Sam Raimi trilogy just felt the most pure. I just feel like after the Sam Raimi trilogy, they, they just kind of phoned it in. Because back then, superhero movies weren't huge. You know? They, so they, they, they were free to push forward in its own direction, in a way. Like, they weren't afraid to be campy. They weren't afraid to be silly. And in doing so, they that's how they fit the perfect balance. And I just feel like with the, the new MCU Spider-Mans and the Amazing Spider-Man, they just phoned it in too much. They're not bad. Tom Holland's great. But it's just, there's there's there was something that was lost in translation. And it, it, it kind of sucks to see. I mean, I I've, I haven't really watched anything beyond Homecoming because I, I haven't felt the pull, which sucks. I, I think something that, uh, this just came to me. Something that a lot of the other movies, and in fact a lot of superhero movies in general, seem to forget to do nowadays is Spider-Man is very down-to-earth in these films. There's a lot of moments where like, the citizenry of the city is the focus beyond just fighting the villain. Like In, in an MCU movie, when the villain flies off to like do their plan or whatever, the, the hero will you know, fly off after them and try to continue the fight. In Spider-Man, these movies, he's often has to stay behind to, like, fix the mess that they made, or he has to stop the train, he's got to save the people falling from the cable car. 
And then there's always a moment where that pays off. Because not mm-hmm. only does he put himself out there for the city, but the city puts himself out there for him. It doesn't always, like, do anything, but I'll always remember the scene where people are throwing trash at the Green Goblin, saying, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us! Or where they're standing in solidarity, carrying Spider-Man maskless on the train, and then the, the Doc Ock stands in front of them, and they're just like, no, no, we're... we're st- we're stopping you. you. You're not going through here. Oh, yeah. And I mean, would actual real world New York do that? Probably not. But that's the world of Spider-Man. <laughs> he, 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 he inspires people to do more and work together and, and do better. And so that pays off because, you know, New York over time comes to appreciate what he's capable of doing for them. So... Yeah, to a lot of people that just say this is bad because it's campy or silly, well, just go fuck yourself. I mean, come on, man. They hate it because it's more <laughs> really. Ho- they hate it because it's more hopeful. And- uh, yeah, and see, sometimes I've even seen people say this is almost like on a level of bad of like Batman and Robin. Which, first off, that's another movie that nowadays I don't see as bad. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I've but always loved But where this is movies. a little different from Batman and Robin is that it's not just silly, it's also kind of brutal at times. It's actually kind of tense, mm. and it's emotional. And mm. that's kind of what Spider-Man is. He is goofy, he is silly, but he also is human. And there are moments, especially when comics started taking themselves more seriously in the 80s and onwards, that more of that stuff was in there. So, frankly, this is the most true-to-form Spider-Man adaptation that we still had mm-hmm. and i mean the tom holland movies i think come a lot closer uh than say the amazing films but even then they still kind of need to get there a little more and i will say that no way home is an improvement and it does kind of hit those marks a little more but that's because they go back to the old ones <laughs> yeah that's the other thing they literally say uh well why have newer villains that we have to develop when we can just use the really cool villains from the older films Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the amazing villains. (laughs) Yeah, shit. Yeah. Which, by the way, um, I will say, looking back on the amazing films, uh, it is interesting how the lead actor, Andrew Garfield, he is much better as Spider-Man than the actual movie. His quality, in terms of his performance and just true-to-nature, you know, take on Spider-Man, has so much higher quality than the rest of the films in general. And uh, I wish that, A, those films started off way better and, Mm -hmm. you know, continued without so much reliance on, oh, we gotta set up this and that, this and this, oh, Sinister Six has to happen, because that is, you know, one of the biggest problems with that one and just maybe a better director and writers because or you know we could have just not had that and had spider-man 4 instead but you know sony fired sam raimi uh and said otherwise but you know that's that's what's up yeah but hey all good things have to come to an end and that includes this episode so overall raimi spider-man best spider-man nothing has yet to touch it in my opinion but of course i'm biased 
No, I'm oh, kidding. Yeah. I'm right. Completely objective. Pure fact. Sorry. Facts, feelings. They don't care. Fact and logic don't give a fuck about your feelings. Uh, if it hasn't been said enough, these, uh, these films, for the most part, hold up pretty damn well. Mm-hmm. They went straight for the heart. Exactly. And I will say that, uh, you know, effects, you know, don't exactly look as good as they did back then, but really, that didn't distract enough, because A, it captured what, uh, a spider can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... What a flying green goblin on a jet-powered glider can do as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it showed that uh, Doc Ock can catch these hands because he has more hands than you. Well, that's a lot of hands to catch. Yeah, that is. <laughs> There's a reason that people still love these films, and it's because they just came out at such the perfect time. They had just the right amount of heart and spirit with entertainment and action and uh, if it wasn't obvious enough, mm-hmm. we're all going to still be watching them from time to time for years to come. Mm-hmm. And if that makes you angry, what are you going to do? Cry? <laughs> you going to cry? <laughs> you going to cry? But uh, Well, go ahead and cry because I'm going to put a little bit of dirt in your eye. Mm-hmm. And with that, that has been our insightful moment. Indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you join us on the next episode. And until then... Take care. Happy New Year. And stay safe out there. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.